0: Hello folks and thank you for tuning in to the Federalist Files. On today's show, the Taliban takes over Kabul and declares ownership of Afghanistan. Why is it that Afghanistan has been never really been conquered? How the Biden administration is handling the Afghanistan situation? And finally, more draconian COVID lockdown measures.
1: democracy's calling <laughs> see you daddy bye hi my name is cooper and this is a day in my life as a white house intern we did a joke <laughs> hey everyone Vogue. usually i start off with a big coffee sorry they're like really strict in here
2: hey jenny i booked you an nail appointment love yeah i didn't tell you to do that it's called initiative <laughs> hi white house
1: this is cooper mm, i don't think so oh doesn't matter This is actually the entrance to the West Wing. This is so fun, and it's really prestigious. Hey, POTUS. Is Olivia Rodrigo still here? No.
2: We've come a long way in our fight against this virus. We've vaccinated 160 million Americans. Are you getting this all down?
1: Don't worry, Queen. It's all right here.
2: Cooper.
1: Sorry, Miss Jen. And Jen. Don't forget to have fun. Spirit fingers, mama. We need to get shots in the arms of every single American. I'm heading to a haircut. Comment if you want me to make more of these.
0: Hello, folks. Thank you for tuning in. As always, your admirable, skillful host here. Um, I thought that was necessary to play that clip. Some of you may have heard it before. That's a uh, White House intern. Uh, I don't even know what his name is. He's a clown. He's a joke. Uh, that is the top folks and when you when i say the top this is about as good as american society i think is going to get that is the top i'm calling the top of this market push this market cycle um it only goes down from here when we have people like this in our white house working as interns i mean this dude's not even wearing a shirt i think he's a homosexual i don't really even know what he exactly identifies as He's not wearing an undershirt in some of these clips, and he works for Jensaki because you could see Jensaki in the video. He wears long white fingernails, fake nails. Um, I really don't know what else to say. So, I mean, uh, when let's say somehow we get commandeered and we are taken over by a superior power, not only a superior power, let's just say an extraterrestrial force. Uh, if this was the remaining video clip, of our society they would assume that we all have insanity we all were insane or are insane uh and they would probably exterminate all of us that's that's the best way that i can characterize this clip now like i said the top of our society that is the top uh we're not gonna it's it's all going downhill from here Taliban in the news, this is a huge story, you know what's really funny folks, I've been covering, if you've been listening to this show consistently, I've been covering this topic on the Taliban for about the last three months here and there, um, as news was coming out about the Taliban continuing to gain steam and gain influence in the region, I'm actually going to break down in this, a little something different later in the show that you're probably not hearing from every, every other pundit I guess out there, why is it that Afghanistan has always been so difficult to conquer and it's really never actually been conquered before? Uh, stay tuned for that, but I want to start off first. You've got the Taliban. They're conducting door-to-door searches. They have taken over Kabul. They've taken over the country. You have the president of Afghanistan has fleed with whatever money, I guess, he had. Uh, there's a lot of corruption, obviously, in the country in my very last show before uh, Kabul was taken over and the Taliban declared that it is now their country in Afghanistan when i was when i was reporting you had us intelligence officials us government officials uh politicians as well commanders in the military knowing that it was not sustainable to place a government a, a what we call a stable system of government in Afghanistan it was inevitable that Afghanistan was going to be taken by the Taliban and there's a couple of reasons for that but the Taliban it's mostly It's partially because the government there is so corrupted as well as the people that are in the Afghan military stand at 300,000 strong comparatively to a 75,000 Taliban. And it seems like not even a shot was fired. The Afghanistan military pretty much just gave up. So you got the Taliban conducting door to door searches. I have this daily wire piece written by Tim Pierce. Uh, They're going door to door and they're exterminating people. They're killing anyone that is a uh, Afghan government official, military member, and others who have worked with the United States and other Western countries. Now, Taliban militants are also seeking out journalists while the terrorist group has promised safety and publicly called for a peaceful transfer of power. Refugees who flocked to Kabul... Uh, prior to its fall, said that the Taliban has already begun forced marriages and executions in outlying uh, cities and town. So yeah, they they made this promise that they weren't going to do this. Uh, Obviously, we don't negotiate with terrorists because this is what they're doing. They're executing people, forcing marriage. To be honest with you folks, I don't even know if there was forced marriage before the Taliban was there uh, for religious reasons, to be honest. That was probably going on before the Taliban was even there. But I have this clip, and and I'm going to tell you, folks, viewer, viewer uh, discretion is advised in this one. This one is pretty bad. Uh, it is examples. People are not getting shot in the process of getting shot, but they're on the ground. Um, limp uh, bodies. And this is in Afghanistan. This is in Kabul, where the Taliban have taken hold, have taken siege, and now run the government. Uh, play clip six. So that clip there it's heavy. It goes on for like 2 minutes. Uh, I'm surprised actually it has not been taken down by Twitter. I was able to find that I think Sunday night. Um, I mean there's there's a lot more clips. Today this is going to be a very clip heavy, almost one topic intensive show. At the very end I'm going to have some COVID stuff, but it's going to be pretty short relative to uh, how long this podcast will be as it relates to to the afghan, the Afghanistan crisis right now, and the Taliban taking over, taking siege of the entire country, which was kind of known to, this This was common knowledge amongst people that read the news and, and know politics. So I have this clip of uh, Joe Biden on July 8th saying that the Af- that Afghanistan is secure, and he explains the demographic situation and the differences of military powers, saying that the Taliban's not going to take back Afghanistan anytime soon. play uh, clip 7.
3: Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well equipped, as well equipped as any army in the world, and an Air Force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. <laughs>
1: Mr. President, thank you very much. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the
3: Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They they did not reach that conclusion. So what is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place.
2: And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling?
3: None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the South the North Vietnamese army. They're not they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comfortable.
0: So, when Joe Biden lays out the demographics, he's right. The numbers: three hundred thousand strong Afghan military versus seventy-five thousand. Uh, in reality, with with a rudimentary air force, you have with the uh, Afghan military. They have very strong arms. I believe they had tanks as well. In reality, this is an overmatched fight um, with the Afghan military being the favorite by far. In a regular scenario, between countries, let's say two countries fighting each other, if those were the numbers, you have 99.99% of the time you're going to have the country with 300,000 men. Uh, winning that battle with a with at least some sort of an air force as well as tanks and other artillery uh like that right in this case, it's almost like a bullet wasn't even fired uh It seems like the Afghanistan military just gave up they don't even want to fight for their country uh because I think it's a very corrupt situation it's a there's a lot of tribalism there there's a lot of factional violence that that goes on, and at the very end, you had Biden say this isn't going to be like a situation in in Vietnam where we had to airlift the employees at the, the U.S., the U.S. Uh, employees at the embassy, uh, U.S. citizens. And here I have a, I have a picture, and this is uh, the Kabul embassy right here. They're airlifting U.S. citizens out of the uh, Kabul embassy in Afghanistan. So he's wrong on that as well. Um, I mean, I don't know what else to say, folks. I, I don't want to sit here and be like, I'm not happy that this is going, this is a terrible situation, I think that people, we should have gotten out of Afghanistan, but I think we should have got out of Afghanistan when Trump said in March that he wanted to get out of uh, Afghanistan. But you know why that didn't? That didn't happen. And this is a little known fact here. When they came through with the defense budget, in that defense budget, it has had a specialized provision that the House of Representatives and the Senate had to vote to allow Trump to pull troops out of Afghanistan because they didn't approve of him doing so because they like the idea of the military industrial complex. They like keeping people in Afghanistan, keeping boots on the ground. Um, and they continue to nation build uh, because people are getting huge contracts. Family members are getting huge contracts to build in those nations and their US contracts. It's our taxpayer dollars are going to rebuild other countries and people that are hooked up in the government that have family members that are government officials are the ones that are getting hooked up with these government contracts. That along with you know military weaponry as well, but I think it's actually much more so the rebuilding of nations in which family members and connected individuals are making huge sums of money and becoming wealthy off of the system. Um, so this isn't the first time that Biden has contradicted himself in terms of foreign policy. Uh, many times he's done so. I have a Just the News piece written by John Solomon. And it starts off, for most of his speech, and this is talking about Biden's speech yesterday that he held, or I'm sorry, on Monday that he had. He had a speech, for the most part, he he blamed Trump a little bit, but he did point out something, and he alluded to something very important, which he was 100% actually correct. And I'm going to go over it at the very end of this uh, article here. But for most of his speech, Biden sounded the same ending, endless war uh, principles that a predecessor, Donald Trump, advocated for. In so doing, he revised his own personal history, most importantly when it came to using the military for nation building. So he stated on Monday, and I quote, "Our mission in Afghanistan was never supposed to have been nation building. It was never supposed to be creating a unified, centralized democracy." End quote. So here's a guy, right? So you have Joe Biden. His brother Frank, I think it's I think it's Frank Biden. His brother had military had military contracts to rebuild in Iraq. So he himself, Joe Biden, is a benefit benefactor. Of this current nation building system that we have and are running out of our government and our military industrial complex. So that statement ignored an important reality. Biden, as a U.S. Senator, co sponsored the first multi billion dollar uh, nation building legislation for Afghanistan in 2002, insisting building a stable country and government was essential. He argued, and I quote, at the time, in 2002, for the nation-building legislation for Afghanistan. He stated, and I quote, Perhaps the most important question, however, is one of commitment. Will we stay the course and build security in Afghanistan, or will we permit the country to relapse into chaos? End quote. He compared nation-building in Afghanistan as important as the U.S. effort known as the Marshall Plan to uh, rebuild Europe after World War II. And this is just fallacious argument and a false equivalency to draw, but this is what he said at the time, and I quote, "...after World War II, America used its soldiers as peacekeepers and its dollars as peace builders. This may have been the wisest investment of the past century. We turned our most bitter foes into our staunchest allies." But if we're going to talk about a new Marshall Plan, we should be willing to back up our words with deeds. The original Marshall Plan cost $90 billion in today's dollars. Our total pledge for Afghan reconstruction is less than 1% of that. And we've only delivered a fraction of that. this pledge. End quote. So, <clears throat> once again, Afghanistan, the Afghanistan people, they did not want us there in our country. Now, you can... Relate this to uh, Germany, where Germany actually did need to be rebuilt. It needed to be revamped. But you're also, if you look at culturally, Germany has much more common that, with the United States than Afghanistan does. Afghanistan really is not run by anybody. There is no, no head of the country. Even though they had a president, there really is no established government there. It is full of factions. It is full of tribal violence and, and very tribal uh, violent groups. Thus they really do not have a government body or a government head. They had never really had any structure throughout the history of the Taliban dating back to like five hundred BC, uh, which we'll go over later in the show. So you really cannot draw the same equivalency between Afghanistan and uh Europe after World War II. It's just not the same. Uh, They do not have and do not hold the same cultural norms and values. And additionally, you can at least make the argument that maybe the people in Germany wanted America there to try to stabilize the situation so they didn't fall into another world war. Uh, How Hitler kind of came to power after mass amounts of inflation and mass amounts of financial turmoil, which brought them to that point. So a year later, after 2002... So 2003, Biden doubled down on nation-building as essential to preventing chaos in Afghanistan, even as some Bush administration and conservatives question such a mission. He stated, and I quote, "...just two months ago, the president signed the Afghanistan Freedom Support Act of 2002, and Senator Hagel and Senator Lugar and I co-sponsored that bill. It was pushed forward by this committee, and we finally got it passed." But the Act authorizes $3.3 billion dollars for reconstruction and security of Afghanistan over and above the funds the President might see fit to allocate from other sources end quote. So he bragged himself about how he co-sponsored the bill and he did such a great job and talking about more money uh, more money that the president can allocate as he sees fit. So yes, uh, we have Joe Biden contradicting himself now saying oh no we shouldn't be rebuilt and this is the problem when you run in government for 40 years and you have a track record like this when you're known as the uh as you would call i guess a mainstream or populist in the democrat party the democrat party has made some terrible decisions over the years you can point to trump when trump was running for president and even when he was president you can't say well look at years ago what he did or what he said because you, you, there is nothing there, there there is no history of him in politics, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, you have to criticize him for what he's currently doing. Joe Biden has co-sponsored the bills. He has caused some of the chaos in this case. So for him going forward now and saying we need to stop rebuilding nations, you're the one that helped support it. You co You didn't even. You didn't have help, help uh, support it. You didn't only vote it in. You also co-sponsored the bill. You helped write the bill. In order to continue to nation build to hook up your family members with huge contracts uh, that have no experience in that field to even begin with. So then <clears throat> I'm gonna play this clip and this is Joe Biden. His argument. Um, well, actually, you know, another thing I want to say is it when he, it, which is very funny. I don't have just for once again for the sake of uh, time here. I just wanted to address how Biden made the... He kept making this weird kind of argument in his speech that, you know, well, Trump, Trump started this whole thing and kind of trying to blame Trump a little bit. But, you know, Biden made a point of signing 33 executive orders in the first week of his presidency. If he wanted to retract something that Trump did, I'm sure he wouldn't have had any difficulty doing it with an executive order like he did the very first week. This was a policy that he approved of. He just wanted to prolong the process, what, four or five months down the line. And he got caught doing something stupid and then also lying over and over again repeatedly uh, to the American people. Him and his other, his cabinet members as well, kind of continuing to carry the torch for him. It's very weird. Uh, So I have this Pentagon press secretary and I'm trying to find his name. John Kirby. And him himself, he said on August 13th that Cabal was not under any imminent threat. Uh, play clip four.
2: I don't want to do that, uh, uh, but uh, there, uh, Kabul is not uh, right now um, uh, in an imminent threat environment.
0: So that statement was made August 13th. Kabul was taken two days later on August 15th by the Taliban when they decided to take it over. So we have a statement coming from John Kirby, somebody that this is the press secretary of the Pentagon. Pentagon is where our military hangs out, our Department of Defense, uh, saying that they're under no direct imminent threat. And he's saying this on August 13th, two days later, it's taken already by the Taliban. I mean, this is is unbelievable, folks. This is... Either government officials being so stupid that they don't actually know what's going on or government officials lying directly to your face thinking that they're going to somehow be able to turn this whole thing around and save face and maybe blame somebody else and absolve themselves. I mean, this is this is tyrant like communist like crap when they just lie directly to your face and they hope that the the media is going to carry the water for them. The Pentagon Now, says that they could be taking in 22,000 refugees. This is a Fox News piece. It's written by Michael Lee. The same guy, Press Secretary John Kirby, said that there's 22,000 at-risk Afghans that could be transported to uh, three different U.S. facilities in the coming weeks. This is another thing I heard. I heard that there's, I don't know if this is exactly true. I've yet to be able to verify it. They're saying there's something like 30,000 Americans still right now in Afghanistan, which is a huge problem if the country is being ran by the Taliban. I'm not 100% sure on that. That's why i'm gonna to have to wait and i'm gonna to have to weigh this out and uh try to validate that source that i've seen i've seen these memes going around but i've yet to be able to validate the source of all the americans that are trapped in afghanistan right now but Uh, Press Secretary of the Pentagon, John Kirby, is saying that we have 22,000 at-risk Afghans that that we may be transporting to uh, U.S. facilities here, I guess as refugees. And this is what he said, and I quote, Our aim at these three facilities would be, over time, three to four weeks from now, be able to provide support for up to 22,000 at-risk individuals. We will not have that capacity immediately. It will take some time to build it out. So Kirby said that there are uh, 2,500 U.S. forces on the ground in Kabul with more troops on the way that will bring that number to over 3,000 in the next 24 hours. I think it's actually even more than that right now, just to kind of secure the region, secure the airport. Then there's another story that there was an airport outside of Kabul uh, that the U.S. wanted to hold on to, but they decided not to. And now that one's overrun as well. So Kabul, the airport's a total disaster. And then another airport that they could have had held down which was much easier just from a just from the point where it was it was much easier to hold down the Kabul, where it was a big city and there was a lot of high population um but yes okay so i have this clip speaking of speaking of airports i have this clip of men running right next to a us military cargo plane that is carrying um i guess some afghan citizens that were considered us sympathizers as well as some US military members and maybe some people from the US embassy as well. Uh, play clip two. If you folks realize this here, just notice if you look at the demographic of the people that are, and you know, folks, I actually highly advise you to watch this one on Rumble today because I have a lot of video clips, but if you look at the people that are running alongside this this giant cargo plane, U.S. cargo plane, it's all men. I don't see one woman in the crowd. I don't see any children really, yeah, I don't see any children in the crowd. There's other clips as well at this airport, No, no women or children. It's all men and you have to ask the question you have to beg the question you have 75,000 apparent uh Taliban soldiers and you have i mean i'm just looking at some of these videos why, you have a bunch of military age men why is it that none of them are fighting for their country and that's a very good question to raise so i'm going to play this clip of Joe Biden he actually he actually makes a very good point he admits in the very beginning that they dropped the ball they underestimated the power of the Taliban uh play clip 5 versus
3: That's why we're still there. We were clear-eyed about the risks. We planned for every contingency, but I always promised the American people that I would be straight with you. The truth is this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. So what's happened? Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. American troops cannot and should not be fighting in a war and dying in a war that Afghan forces are not
0: willing to fight for themselves. So yes, Joe Biden makes the perfect point. And I hate to say this. Uh, I hate to agree with Joe Biden. Why is it that we have, for the last 20 years, we have been sending our youth, some of the greatest men and women in this country that have great potential beyond being in the military. Why are we sending them across seas to fight a battle that the people that live in the country aren't even willing to fight? The Afghan military isn't even willing to fight for their country. We have American soldiers that love them. A- this country here we have american military members patriotic americans and they are fighting a war for another country on behalf of citizens of another country and we are spilling american blood for another country that doesn't even want to fight to preserve itself i mean it is a joke this was a cataclysmic and don't let the media Uh, state otherwise to you don't make them convince you the media is kind of you know backtracking on this they're they're asking critical questions of of the biden administration right now but this is a cataclysmic disaster foreign national it is a disgrace it is a complete foreign relations foreign affairs the biggest disaster in a very long time uh I don't even. I can't even sit here and think of a scenario. I know definitely not in my lifetime. I mean, this is a, a disaster of epic proportions. What's going on right now? Uh, the media is going to kind of cover this up. They're going to ask kind of softball questions. Maybe they'll be a little bit critical of the regime, but they're going to continue to drop the ball on this stuff. And this is these are things that were going on for a very long time. This Afghanistan thing was going on for the last three months with the Taliban gaining more and more uh, power in the region. I've been reporting on it. But why is it that you have yet to hear until suddenly everybody heard about it in the last week or so? And that's because the media will only carry the water of the Biden administration. They're not going to let anybody know. There's no negative news that's allowed. It has to be sudden. It has to be quick. Quick in the news cycle. Get it out of the news cycle. Let's talk about something else later. That's the way that they work. They don't want to talk about the negative stuff unless that they are forced to do so. And in this case, they are forced to do so because it is such an international galactic disaster of a story that they have to report it, okay? So that's really what's going on right now. So Jen Psaki, another story that I think, this is, a, this is amazing here. Jen Psaki's nowhere to be found. Jen Psaki, I guess, decided to take her break or take her leave or take her vacation. She's going to be ver- done at the very end of this year. She's nowhere to be found during all of this, so she's not out there being the press secretary, doing her job. You had Biden give his speech on Monday. It was about a 10-15 minute long speech. He read off a teleprompter the entire time, uh, partially blaming the Trump administration for something that he really impacted, and the establishment as well, and the Congress impacted more than Trump did when Trump was trying to pull them out in March, and they stopped him from doing so. So you yeah, have terrorists, and this is this is the point of why I was kind of pointing out. You have twenty two thousand people that apparently need help, right? Refugees uh, from Afghanistan. How are we to know that there is no terrorist threat for those twenty two thousand refugees? How are we to know that? Are we going to vet twenty two thousand people coming to this country? That's that's truly the question. You have, I mean, you have all these people that are running with the plane, with the cargo plane that don't want to fight for their country, they are trying to escape. I mean, how cowardly? Do we get to a point where we can draw a distinction here and we can at least draw some sort of conclusion and make a make a character judgment on people that don't want to fight for their country like that, that just give up arms to the Taliban? The U.S. armed them. Billions of dollars worth of military weaponry that have been confiscated by the taliban now the taliban owns u.s product we paid you paid your tax pay when you look at your taxes and your paycheck and you go look at this i got bent over and i got screwed by the government again that is directly paying for all the weapons that are now in in the taliban's hands that's what's going on right now so the pentagon now they say that uh or rather Terrorists are crossing the border at unprecedented levels. Uh, Washington examiner piece written by Anna Giratelli. You have this head of border patrol who's actually retiring and he gave a speech uh, to nineteen thousand different agents talking about the national security mission and how it's paramount to uh to the administration to the country to the national security of the country. He goes on to kind of explain how you know we 're taking criminals, pedophiles, rapists murderers, uh, and like I said, you know, some terrorists off of our streets. We're keeping, keeping them safe from America, and that's, that's what they're saying. That's what he goes on to say. This guy's name is Rodney Scott. And he's just talking about how they are processing uh, these migrants every single day, but there is a problem right now with catching terrorists at the border. And this was actually a story that happened earlier this year. They found four people that were on a terror watch list, and then they took down the story very quickly. So, shortly after taking office in January, CBP told members of Congress that federal law enforcement has, had stopped four people on the terror watch list. A CBP news release about these specific encounters was taken down from the government agency's website hours after going up, and I I believe I reported on this as kind of like a minor story, prompting complaints from Republicans about the Department of Homeland Security's transparency. The congressional briefing confirmed what House Republicans had said during a border tour in Texas in March. House Homeland Security Committee Ranking member John Catco, a former federal prosecutor who was based in El Paso, Texas, during his time as a lawyer said, the international cartels were masterfully exploiting the border due to an easing of Trump-era border restrictions. He said, and I quote, People they've caught in the last few days have been under the terror watch list. Individuals that they have on, a, on the watch list for terrorism are now starting to exploit the southern border. End quote. So the four terror watch list matches represented a greater number than the average total seen in recent years. Although several thousand people are denied entry to the U.S. at airports each year as a result of being on the list, it is unusual for people to be encountered trying to get into the U.S. between land border crossings. The four matches were citizens of Serbia and Yemen. Okay. So we have to worry about terrorists coming from our southern border now at this point as well. Because of the Biden administration's very lax policies, we're going to be taking in 22,000 refugees. Pretty much how are we going to vet those refugees? I'm very interested to know the standard for that, if they are going to be terrorist incels. Because the Taliban, Taliban's is not stupid, folks. The Taliban is not stupid. Al-Qaeda wasn't stupid. ISIS isn't stupid. They're going to find any way to make it into this country and spread terror uh, worldwide. So, one person with firsthand knowledge of Scott's decision, and this was the former CBP head, said in May that Scott was told to retire, resign, or move away from headquarters. The decision by Scott's boss was completely driven by politics, even though Scott's position is apolitical, and he was a 29-year employee of the Border Patrol. So, he stated, Scott, and I quote, I did choose to retire, but I am not retiring to run away from this crisis. I'm just going to fight for you from a slightly different angle. That's what he said in a message to his agents, not disclosing what his uh, future plans were going to be. So this was a political firing. I have a feeling that Rodney Scott was very hardcore, tough on the border, and he was pissed that Biden got in there and pretty much told him not to do anything, and they were getting such an abundance and an influx of people that it was unsustainable. And because of that, he probably... A uh, lashback of the Biden administration, or whoever his superior is, if it's a appointed, you know, official that's a big time Democrat, and they told him, "Hey, listen, you're either going to resign, or you're going to get fired, or you know, retire. Do do your thing, or you're going to get transferred somewhere else." So, uh, and and this is the big piece. I thought it was very important to play this one out. Uh, just explain it. Why is it that Afghanistan? is considered the graveyard of empires, if anybody's ever heard of this, because it seems like Afghanistan's never been able to be uh, commandeered, taken over, industrialized, pacified. Uh, it's the diplomat.com piece written by Aklesh Pillamari, and this was written in 2017. I thought it was very interesting to go over this, though. So, despite spending more on Afghanistan than on rebuilding Europe after World War II, little progress has been made. It would not be surprising if the Taliban controlled all of Afghanistan within a decade. Afghanistan is a notoriously difficult country to govern. Empire after empire, nation after nation have failed to pacify what is today the modern territory of Afghanistan. Giving the region the nickname, the Graveyard of Empires. Even if sometimes those empires won some initial battles and made inroads into the region, if the United States and its allies decide to leave Afghanistan, they would only be be the latest in a long series of nations to do so. As the British learned in their their 1839 to 1842 war in Afghanistan, it is often easier to do business with a local ruler with popular support than to support a leader backed by foreign powers. The cost of propping up such a leader eventually adds up. The closest, most historical empire have come to controlling Afghanistan was by adopting a light-handed approach, as the the Mughals did they manage to loosely control the area by paying off various tribes or granting them autonomy attempts at anything resembling centralized control even by native afghan governments have largely failed okay so in afghanistan the problem is is you have so many different tribes you have different sects uh of islam i mean islam now is like the national religion but over there it was actually buddhism at one time i believe it's going to go on to describe the plethora of, of different tribes that are in that region. And this is part and the terrain as well. And that's the reason why I can't really be taken over. If I had to guess an actual solution to this problem, would probably be a monarch with a bunch of nobles. That's actually the best solution right now that I could think of. Short-term uh, solution. And then eventually convert itself into some sort of democracy or a republic. Eventually. But... Okay, so Afghanistan is particularly hard to conquer primarily due to the intersection of three different factors. First, because Afghanistan is located on the mainland route between Iran, Central Asia, and India, it has been invaded many times and settled by a plethora of tribes, many mutually hostile to each other and outsiders. Second, because of the frequency of invasion and prevalence of tribalism in the area, its lawlessness lead... Uh, led to a situation where almost every village or house was built like a fortress or a kwalat. That's the other name for it. It's like a compound. Third, the physical terrain of Afghanistan makes conquest and rule extremely difficult, exacerbating its tribal tendencies, and it's hard to move from one place to another. So there's going to be more tribes, going to be much more tribal because you need the help of others. And you're not going to move around as often, which kind of exacerbates the problem for them. Afghanistan is dominated by some of the highest and more jagged mountains in the world as well. These include the Hindu Kush, which dominates the country and run through the center uh, and south of the country, as well as the Pamir Mountains in the east, the Pamir Knot, where the Hindu Kush, Pamir, Tian Shan, there's all these different names, and the Himalayas all meet is situated in uh, Badakhshan a northeast uh, in northeast Afghanistan. So some of these various tribes and and it goes through this giant history the Mongols at one time were over there and then i think somebody killed uh what's his name's great 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 grandson the Mongol leader i can't i'm drawing a blank right now. I can't believe it Genghis Khan Genghis Khan's like great grandson there's all these stories of different tribes or different countries trying to kind of commandeer the territory from 500 bc until now and it just has never worked um because of the tribalism there the factional violence so various tribes founded empires within the afghanistan region before breaking up into many sta- statelets these included the greco bactrians the indo-parthians the Sac, the Sathians, the great buddha building Kushans, the kedarites and the White Huns. By this time, the region already acquired a difficult reputation. When the Arabs arrived in the region at the dawn of the eighth century, it was patchwork of small but tough principalities. Uh, attempts to conquer the Zunbils of Kandahar failed spectacularly. The first major setback faced by the Arabs after their great conquest began. An expedition of twenty thousand men sent sent against uh, the Zunbils, returned with 5,000 people. It almost took 200 years for Afghanistan to be Islamicized from west to east, a process that only neared completion when, and I can't even pronounce that name, uh, Yaqabib al-Safar, a Persian blacksmith born in Zaranj in Afghanistan on the border with Iran, conquered Kabul, even, and this is the reason why kabul is such a big deal because when once kabul was conquered that was the entire country was now an Islamic state and and that's why kabul was such a big was such a paramount defeat uh years ago and we're talking the eighth what the the that was like in year 1000 I think is when it became fully islamicized as they call it uh, even then the Hindus Shahi Dynasty held out for another hundred years in the easternmost parts of today's Afghanistan until conquered by Muhammad of Ghazni around the turn of the millennium. So that's like you know year eleven hundred or one thousand uh, when that was going on. So yeah, there was there was Hindu, there was uh, Buddhism in the region, but the Islamic religion kind of came in later, actually, in the history of Afghanistan. So since then, and this is kind of the rundown here is why that no one can take it over so the real reasons that afghanistan's never really been able to be taken over or governed you have a lot of tribes you have very hilly terrain which exacerbates the problems of the tribes Um, there's a lot of factional violence because of these these powerful tribes and it's there's no one that's ever been able to take over the country because the tribes are more powerful than the government and everybody falls into their different tribes, uh, moreover. And there's, there's much more loyalty to a tribe than there is to a centralized government. So since then, as both the British and Russians have learned... ...that while it is possible to conquer territory in Afghanistan temporarily... ...and defeat Afghans militarily in open battle... ...it is virtually impossible to hold the region down for long. When it is filled with guerrillas, uh, as in guerrilla warfare tactics tribes and castles that can constantly weigh down a foreign power the people of afghanistan have nowhere to go and can fight their whole lives foreigners beware in particular of the kandahar region a luxury that outsiders do not have so so yeah outsiders can't sit there the united states can't sit there and wage war for an entire lifetime uh against afghanistan i mean it's been a long time though The United States should learn from the history of Afghanistan and understand that that escalating the war will have no particular impact on the outcome minus a permanent occupation, which would be ineffective at best, a bloody and cost prohibitive. Um, At worst, the only way to deal with Afghanistan is to deal with its plethora of local powers. And if this means accepting the Taliban in exchange for a modicum, of stability and a promise not to host global terrorist organizations, then so be it. The alternative is an unwinnable, never-ending war. So this this writer was kind of almost predicting what would happen in 2017. He's right, but what he's saying is he thinks the remedy is to accept the Taliban as the um, as the governing structure. Uh, I guess. I mean, I don't. I don't really know what the answer is. That region, there's really to me, there's no answer you have a bunch of very powerful tribes they all fight each other they're not industrialized they're not there's no cohesive unit there's nothing that unifies anybody around there uh there's no guiding principles there's no there's no bill of rights there's there's just nothing to unify uh some sort of free country or free man it's all about power in those institutions and that's why there is really no institution so, but what's another interesting story I have here is that Obama released a commander that helped plan the takeover of Kabul. Post millennial piece written by Hannah Nightingale. So, according to the New York Post, you have uh, men that organized the takeover of Afghanistan. They were le- released. There was five of five Taliban commanders that reportedly vowed to return to Afghanistan and fight the American troops based there, making contact with active Tal- Taliban uh, militants, which is hilarious. Despite these pledges, the Obama administration turned a blind eye to these intelligence reports, and the five freed detainees reportedly formed a regime in exile based in Qatar. So they said, oh, we're going to send them to Qatar. They're not going to impact anything with the Afghani- with Afghanistan, with the Taliban there. And you have this one guy, one of them, that ended up pretty much... Uh, He's the one that planned the takeover takeover of Kabul, so they still have a lot of influence in the Taliban. And this was knowingly. Um, and what's what's even worse about it is the uh, he was released with four others as part of an exchange for U.S. Army Sergeant Robert Bo Bergdale. Released from capture, Bergdale was later revealed to have deserted his post and was sentenced to a dishonorable discharge from the military. The five were the only forever prisoners at Gitmo to be released without being cleared by the Guantanamo Bay Parole Board. So, you know, Barack Obama decide not to go through the parole board. He just uses executive power to trade people over. And now those people scheduled the, uh, or planned the overthrow of the government in Afghanistan. So so I have another clip. This is from the State Department, and this one is unbelievable. This is them talking about asking the Taliban what type of government to implement over there. Uh, play clip one.
2: Additionally, the UN Security Council issued a joint press statement earlier today calling for a new government that is united, inclusive, and representative including with the full and full and meaningful participation of women. The council spoke with one voice to underscore that Afghanistan must abide by its international obligations, including to international humanitarian law, and ensure the safety and security of all Afghans and international citizens.
0: So that's Ned Price, the self-avowed dork of the uh, State Department. He's a spokesperson for the State Department. He's calling for inclusion in the uh, in the Afghanistan government, telling the Taliban soldiers that, hey, listen, you guys are going to have to put some women in your government because we're we're totally in a a position to negotiate with the Taliban right now that now holds all of the power in Afghanistan. I mean, it's just it's a laughingstock. If, If you're if you're someone, once again, that reads the news and pays attention to any of this stuff. It's just a big sham. It's just a big show for everybody to show how intersectional we are as a country and how how, uh, tolerant we are comparatively to another country. We're going to ask you, make sure that you have women in your military as the Taliban are taking American sympathizers out of their homes and putting a bullet through their skull. We're going to tell them we're at a point where we think we are at a point to negotiate, a point of power, which we're not. Uh, Rasmussen poll: Joe Biden, 63% of the nation said that we are heading in the wrong direction. According to this poll, 33% said we are heading in the right direction, and this is right after the Afghanistan news uh, started to kind of roll out. So that's a good that's a good determinant of how great the administration is doing such thus, thus far. I had this other picture, if you guys want to check this out on the screen. This one's just pathetic and hilarious. You know, the White House tweeted this, this photo. And it shows some White House officials, um, I believe intelligence officials. And it's Joe Biden awkwardly staring at a screen talking to them. Looks clueless. Like he doesn't know what's going on. And they actually give up the locations of their own intelligence officials like idiots by posting this on Twitter. And it's actually still up. Um, it's just pathetic. It's just another incompetence by the u.s government i have cnn outside of the kabul embassy and their coverage of this is just not surprising at all play clip nine
2: they're just chanting death to america but they seem friendly at the same time it's utterly
0: bizarre that clip gives me vibes of when um The CNN reporter is saying, oh, it's mostly peaceful protests as there's a house or a a business on fire just ablaze behind him. It's the same deal. They're chanting death to America. They chanted death to America after 9-11. They always chant death to America. It's it's a regular occurrence. That's their chant. That's their cheer. They hate our guts. Uh, They hate the idea of a Western nation of free people that are not indoctrinated into some sort of caliphate-like religion. It's really all it is. Um yeah, so I want to play these other some of these other clips. I got it's all COVID related. I got Fauci, he's telling everybody now they're going to need a booster and really what they're going to do is they're going to move the goalposts with this. So he's saying people that are at risk that have some sort of comorbidities or immune immunological disorders, uh they're going to need a booster shot. Uh play clip 5. having me
1: so as we just mentioned the fda is expected to authorize a booster shot today for immunocompromised people will everyone need a booster shot at some point dr fauci you know it is likely that that will happen at some time in the future because it is it is it, it would be extremely unusual and we're already starting to see indications in some sectors about a diminution over time that's durability we don't feel at this particular point that apart from the immune compromise, we don't feel we need to give boosters right now, but importantly, We are following this in real time, literally on a weekly and monthly basis. We're following cohorts of individuals, elderly, younger individuals, people in nursing homes to determine if in fact the level of protection is starting to attenuate. And when it does get to a certain level, we will be prepared to give boosters to those people. But from what you just said a moment ago, it is imminent that we
0: will be giving it to immune compromised. All right, first and foremost, This is not considered if if there is a need for booster shots. And and this will continue, folks. The the goalposts will shift on this. It's not going to be just people that are immunocompromised. It's going to be everybody. It's going to be all of us, right? If this is the case, that means that this is a vaccination that does not work. If there is a need for a booster shot. That's all it means, simply. If you think of rubella, measles, um, what, smallpox? If you think of all of those other vaccinations... When you're a child, I think you get one, and then you get a booster after that, and then you never need one ever again for the rest of your... I think you don't need one for another, like, 20 years after that. You you still have in your blood antibodies. They last for 15, 20 years. It's not eight months. It doesn't last for eight months or six months or a year. They last for 15, 20 years. That means, thus, that means that these vaccines are being found ineffective. Uh, the Pfizer vaccine in particular, there's a bunch of case studies uh, coming out of... Coming out of Israel, who used it earlier than us, and now they're finding that it's actually beginning to wane on people their their immune or their antibodies that they were that were created by these vaccinations so yes uh, if it's a booster this is that means the vaccine didn't work that means it isn't really a vaccine that just means it's pretty much just a booster that needs to be re-upped every single uh, you know couple of months so I have Justin Trudeau. He's gonna be mandating vaccines for his own federal employees in the government. Uh play clip eleven.
1: We have made the decision that federal public servants need to be fully vaccinated. Uh, that is something that we're also applying to everyone who gets on a plane or a train in the coming months in Canada. That's a decision that we're making in order to keep Canadians safe, in order to put an end to uh, this, uh, this uh, uh, pandemic crisis in Canada. Uh, and in order to do that, we will be working uh, with uh, the uh, collective bargaining agents, with the uh, unions, uh, with uh, the various employers within the, uh, the, uh, the public sphere. Uh, the federal sphere to ensure that we move forward but the bottom line is uh if anyone who doesn't have a legitimate medical reason for not getting fully vaccinated chooses to not get vaccinated there will be consequences
0: so i guess justin trudeau decided to get rid of the beard so he can look like a high schooler once again in the position as prime minister he's actually violating the law if you looked at the very top in this video there's this charter of rights that's given to uh, Canadians. It's including that there's exemptions including reasons of conscience, religion, and creed, etc. So he's actually, no, he's saying knowingly, because if you're a federal government employee, you're actually given these rights in your employment status. He's he's telling people, I will violate our our constitution or our government document and there will be a punishment for people that don't follow vaccinations now if they're going to have this in the federal government i think a lot of people in our country are gonna, actually going to get fired i think people are willing to get fired over this i think people are willing to get fired over vaccine status and then we're going to have this weird two-tiered system in this country where there's the connected individuals that have vaccines and there's the non-connected uh, the displaced, the ostracized from our society, the people that do not want to put an experimental chemical in their body that they don't know what the effects are going to be over the years. And they also are now learning that they're uh, ineffective. If if they were so effective, the vaccinations, then you wouldn't have to force vaccinate people that, don't, that aren't vaccinated because the vaccinated population would have a herd immunity or they would have an immunity to the virus that they wouldn't have to worry about it. So I have another one. Uh... A nationwide lockdown in New Zealand, uh their prime minister, and this is after having one found COVID case. They have one COVID case. So they're going for a, implementing a I believe it's a 170 day lockdown in New Zealand. Uh check this out. Play clip ten.
1: Uh, stay local and do not congregate. Don't talk to your neighbors. Please keep to your bubbles it comes down again to those very simple principles we know from overseas uh, cases of the delta variant that it can be spread by people simply walking past one another so keep those movements outside to the bare minimum wear a mask and make sure you keep up that physical distancing
0: i'm just trying to figure out in america in particular where is the the ceiling like when is the ceiling going to be broken? for outrageousness when there's actually a public response so in new york specifically now you need a covid card a covid card and then you also need an id now these are the same people that say you shouldn't need an id to vote but you need an id and you need a covid card to go to a restaurant to go out to buy groceries to do many things uh i think what's the other one go out to the movies etc right so right now In New Zealand, they're doing a 170-day lockdown. They're telling you not to even talk to your neighbors. I mean, where is, this is what my point is. In America, it's going to get to this point like New Zealand. Because Americans, what they'll do is they'll laugh at New Zealand. They'll laugh at Australia. They'll make, oh, wow, that's not going to happen here. This is a free country. And then you see an implementation like there is in New York right now. And how are we any better than them? I mean, New Zealand—they can their their prime minister a couple of years ago like put out a gun ban and it just told, pretty much confiscated or told everybody else, "Hey, we're gonna buy back your guns." Uh, in New Zealand, I think a very few amount of the guns were confiscated or were given back to the government. But still, like we are the most heavily armed nation in the country, and our government is not afraid of us at all. And it's it seems pretty obvious with some of these draconian measures, they're just continuing to push the needle and americans are not responding the way they should be of acting for freedom and this actually brings up the cases you know, have a taliban spokesman and i thought this was interesting to play and this was the same thing that putin did earlier this year and people are calling putin a fascist or kind of all this all these names and authoritarian and putin said well you guys have people that went and pretty much trespassed in a government building and they've been sitting in solitary confinement without their lawyer without Being able to see their lawyer and without a trial, a complete and utter suspension of habeas corpus, how is it that I'm any better, than I'm any worse than you guys are? And he has a good point. So what the Taliban says, they ask him about rights for women, and he responds with freedom of speech, uh, play clip 12. This question should be asked
2: to
3: those people who are uh, claiming to be promoters of freedom of speech, uh, who do not allow uh, publication of all information in I can ask Facebook uh, company, this question should be asked to them.
0: So his response is, you're asking us about freedom of speech, we're the Taliban, you're asking us about freedom of speech. Meanwhile, in America, you guys don't even really abide by freedom of speech you have you have platforms that are given the rights of a publisher they shut down speech and then they're completely covered from liability as a platform i mean it's like he's like it's a joke in in your country and you're sitting here and you're questioning what we're doing here. What about Facebook over in the United states and he has, he actually has a i mean I hate to say it, but the dude from Taliban from the taliban he has he has a good point um, we're sitting here criticizing governments we criticize China about being a spy state. Uh, And there's a lot of tactics taken from the Chinese government that are being used here right now, especially culturally, Uh, getting away from religion, trying to vilify uh, being a parent and having a family, and rather propagate uh, the idea of of being single and going out and partying. Culturally, we have a lot of issues in America, and they're mostly derived from the reason of an implementation of communism they want you not to have anything important anything that you hold near and dear here because then the state is your number one there's a bunch of status that i go to high school with and it's not a surprise and, and there's a correlation here the correlation is people love the state the state is their number one now they're fully indoctrinated into the status culture they believe in the state. They're, they don't have family. They don't have uh, significant others. They are number one statists. Or if they have significant others, their significant others don't want to have kids with them. Because their significant others are also statists. So I have this very last clip talking about Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan, uh, he talks a little bit about how insane everything is right now. And he specifically talks about CNN and how there's totally been a violation of everyone's rights. Uh, play clip 12.
2: Can't do what you want to do unless you do what I want you to do. I mean, Don Lemon was talking about that openly on CNN. Yeah. Don't have a vaccine, can't go to a supermarket. Don't have a vaccine, can't go to work. Like, it's so strange that people want to say things like that. Like, that's the thing that blows me away. Why do you? Why do people want to? Because uh, they're dumb. They're dumb. Right? They're dumb. They don't understand history. They don't understand <laughs> right. human beings. They don't understand human nature. They don't understand the history of. Every single country that's ever existed Mm -hmm. other than the United States, up until 1776, every fucking country that has ever existed was run by dictators. Right. All of them. This is the first one. Where you had elected officials. This is the first experiment in self-government that actually worked. And it created the greatest superpower the world's ever known. It created the greatest cultural machine. The greatest machine of art and creativity and innovation. Right fucking here. And how did it do that? It did it through freedom.
0: Yeah, he's not wrong. I mean, he's 100% correct. Uh, He's right. It's a great country. You have free principles. And there's a bunch of statists that want to destroy the country. And they want to destroy your individual freedom, your individual rights. As I was saying before, I have a lot of people I went to school with. They're now statists. They're fully indoctrinated into the state. And the worst part about it is they don't even realize that is who they are. They're represented. They, they're the people that say, why don't you just listen to the government? Just take the vaccine. Why don't you just listen to the government? Hand over your guns. Why don't you just listen to the government and allow them to... To regulate your speech and say you can't say certain specific words or you'll be imprisoned. You have to call that transgender person what they want to identify as. You have to use that name, that that pronoun that they want. Or else you're going to be in prison. You're going to be in jail. I like the idea of that because words are now violence. Those are the kind of people that are now being... That are permeating our, our society in the United States. The new generation. I would say the millennials by far are probably the worst. And that is my generation, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, folks. But that will conclude this one. I greatly appreciate everybody tuning in as always. Hopefully, we're going to stop talking about this Afghanistan stuff. We can get some, some other news down. Because usually, I don't really like to talk that much about international stuff. Because it's not affecting me or affecting us um in the same way but i guess this one specifically does affect a lot of u.s families and citizens and you know veterans of the war but yes folks i will uh talk to you guys all next time i will see you this weekend on the weekend special once again there's really dude the federal papers are done they're done they're over so now we're just going to be doing current events every single wednesday night and saturday night as well so i greatly appreciate everyone's viewership please drop the mic let people know about the podcast like share subscribe all the good stuff i will see you all this weekend thank you